Hey, good morning. Glad that you are with us today. Glad wherever your kingdom outpost might be that you're joining us for worship today. I feel like someone should tell Dave there's a pandemic going on before we tell all our kids to put their dirty fingers in their mouth and throw slobber across the room. But uh, I hope you had as much fun singing that with your kids as I did sitting here watching them sing that. So glad that you're with us this morning. I heard a story about an elderly couple who were sitting at home watching TV one night and the wife kind of snuggles up to her husband and he takes his glasses off and puts them on a stand beside the sofa and she curls into him and he says, she said, you know, sweetie, with your glasses off, you look just like the handsome young man that I married so many years ago. And he looked down at his wife and said, well, honey, with my glasses off, you don't look so bad yourself. <laughs> I, hope you're, I hope you're focused this morning. You know, last week, um, last week I, I preached a, a pretty heavy sermon. I talked about darkness. And I sort of reminded us that we live in a very dark, very broken world. And if that's all we ever talked about, and if that's all we ever focused on, and that's what we sort of concentrated on all the time, the world would be a pretty depressing place to live, right? But of course, there's another way to look at life. And this morning, I, I want to sort of flip that switch. And I'm not going to talk about darkness this morning. Instead, this morning I want to talk about light. I want to talk about some good news this morning. You know, if you ever watch HGTV or any of those home shows where people are or buying a house, or they're remodeling a house. One thing everybody wants is natural lighting. They walk into a home and say, wow, look at those tall windows. I love all the natural lighting. We're just drawn. We crave light, right? You never walk, see anybody walk into a home and they say, wow, this place looks like a, a subterranean cave. I, I love it. You never see anyone talking to their contractor saying, could you, could you make it darker in here? No. We want it lighter. We want it brighter. But of course, it takes some work to make things lighter and brighter, right? No, the, the, the natural thing is to, is to be kind of darkness. But it takes some effort to make things light. And the darker things are, the more effort it takes to make them light. All through Scripture, Old Testament and New, uh, writers use darkness and light to contrast good and evil. Right and wrong, lost and saved. The prophet Isaiah said this about the coming Messiah in Isaiah chapter 9. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Isaiah is saying there's a light promised to a dark world. And then Jesus says about himself in John chapter 8, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We talked last week a little bit about this idea of Jesus coming into the world as light. And I mentioned last week the fact that it matters to us what God does. If you remember, we talked about that last week. It matters to us what God does. This morning, I want to suggest to you, it matters to God what we do. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 22, verse 23. 
Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Is working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It's the Lord Christ you're serving. We are to be living our lives on a mission from God. We have a purpose for being here, to let our light shine. What we do, it matters to God. But I think sometimes it's easy to fall into that trap of, really? Because I know me. And the truth is, I'm a pretty insignificant guy, living in a pretty insignificant place, doing pretty insignificant things. Does it really matter? Does it make any difference to anyone? Does it make any difference to God, how I'm living my life? Now, we just looked at John chapter 8, where Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. I remind you of Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, where Jesus himself says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill can't be hidden. So Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. But then he also says, but you are the light of the world as well. A city set on a hill can't be hidden, saying, you need to let your light shine. Now, I know that for a lot of people, that's the very thing that makes Christianity a little bit unattractive to them. Because as Christians, those Christians, they're always talking about Jesus. They're always pushing Jesus. And a lot of people are like, why are you always telling me what you believe? Why are you always talking about Jesus? Why don't you just let me believe what I want to believe, you believe what you want to believe, and you know we'll get along just fine. And on one level, I, I kind of get that. Because I've seen some Christians who have been kind of obnoxious in the way they talk about Jesus. But on the other hand, as a Christian who likes to talk about Jesus, I feel compelled to talk about Jesus. So I've got a couple um, responses, I guess, this morning when people ask you, why are you always talking about Jesus? Why are you always letting your light shine? They won't say it that way. But why are you always talking about this? Let me share with you uh, things that, that you might uh, respond with. First, it's human nature to talk about what we're excited about. We're just wired that way. We like to talk about what we're excited about. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, For Christ's love compels us. We're compelled by the love of Christ. Another version says, whatever we do, it's because Christ's love controls us. Another says, we're ruled by the love of Christ. The love of Christ is compelling stuff. It gets your attention, and it causes a reaction. You know, one of the worst things for people like me about this pandemic that we're in the middle of right now is the fact that there's no sports going on. And I know on the grand scheme of things, that's not much, but, but I miss sports. I really do. I know there's a little bit of golf being played, and I guess NASCAR is doing some things, but come on. Those aren't real sports. I'm sorry, Bert, but they're not. I miss sports. And yet, even though there's nothing going on in the sports world, here in Tampa Bay, we are excited about the football season coming up this year, aren't we? 
We're talking a lot about the football season. This is going to be our year. Why are we talking about the football season this year so much? Two words. Tom Brady. Tom Brady, the, the greatest quarterback that's ever lived, is coming to Tampa, Florida. It would have been better 10 years ago, yes, but, but he's still, he's coming to Tampa, Florida. The historical uh, capital of the turnover world. He's going to play for our Bucks. And we're excited about that. And that's all we can talk about. Even though there's really not much to talk about. I like to listen to, to sports radio in the car. Every now and then Martha will say, yeah, go ahead and turn on sports radio. Let's, let's see what Tom Brady had to eat for breakfast this morning. Because people are talking about that. There's no sports to talk about, but let's talk about Tom Brady. He's coming to Tampa, which Martha says is better than talking about LeBron James, you know, all winter long. So we talk about what we're excited about. And I don't know what that is for you. I don't know what your thing is, but I'll guarantee this. People that are close to you know what your thing is. People that know you well know what you're excited about because we talk about it. And of course, the reason we talk about Jesus, the reason that, that we want to tell people about Jesus is, he's changed my life. Jesus has just changed my life. He's changed my family, absolutely. He's changed my marriage. Jesus has changed the way I, I think about money. He's changed my friendships. He's changed my relationships. He's changed me. I'm not the same person that I used to be. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17, Paul continues his thought by saying, Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. If I've fallen in love with Jesus, if I'm following Jesus, I'm not who I used to be. I've been forgiven. I've been redeemed, I've been sanctified, I've been justified. All those big Bible words that we only use in church, they're just ways of saying, I'm better than I used to be. I'm, I'm different than I used to be. I'm a new creation. And it's because of Jesus. And I'll talk about that. I'll brag about Jesus. Here's another reason. Uh, there's more to this life than this life. Now, I mentioned that there are some people who have a problem with Christians always talking about Jesus. Well, there's some Christians who have a problem with talking about Jesus as well. Um, there are Christians who have either been taught or somehow they've come to the conclusion church is church and work is work or school is school and they really shouldn't be mixed very much. And when I'm at church, I'll talk about church. When I'm at work, I'll talk about work. And when I'm at school, I'll talk about school. Now, sometimes you can talk about work at church, and sometimes you can talk about school at church, but you can't talk about church at work. Or you can't talk about church at school or on the golf course or with your friends. That'd just be too weird. That'd be too awkward. Now, they believe in Jesus. They go to church, they read the Bible, they pray to God, but somehow they come up with the conclusion, okay, my, my personal relationship with God, that, that's very private. That's just between me and God. 
That, that's just between us. I don't need to share that. And that sounds very forward-thinking, doesn't it? That sounds very politically correct. You do your thing, I'll do my thing. The problem is, there's nothing biblical about that stance. God never said, you keep your thing to yourself and you let them do their thing. Jesus certainly never said that as well. That way of thinking, you know, we're, we'll, we'll both do our own thing. I'm not going to push any agenda here. I'm not going to talk about Jesus. That'd be great. If people weren't going to spend eternity somewhere. And that would be great to say, you know, I'm not going to say anything about Jesus if I was sure everyone was going to heaven. Why would I talk about Jesus if everyone's going to heaven? But the Bible says, not everyone's going to heaven. In fact, Jesus says, most people aren't going to heaven. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. The difference between Christianity and all other religions is that Christianity isn't just a religion. Christianity is a relationship. Through Jesus, we have been invited. In fact, through Jesus, we have been encouraged into a relationship with God. Because of Jesus... We have the right and the privilege of calling God Abba, Father. See, when I'm in a relationship, I'm in a relationship no matter where I am. Relationships aren't geographically uh, quarantined. I'm in a relationship where, no matter where I am, if I'm in a relationship. And to say, oh, at church I'll do the Jesus thing, but at, at work um, I'm not going to do the Jesus thing. I'm, I'm not going to say anything to, about Jesus to you know, people at school. That's not how relationships work. Uh, you men that are married, think about this. What if you were to tell your wives, you know, when I'm at home, I'm going to be your husband, and I'm going to act like your husband. But when I go to work, well, then I'm not going to act like your husband anymore. Because, let's face it, home is home and work is work. I'm not going to put a picture of you on my desk at work. I'm not ever going to bring your name up in conversation I'm not going to wear my wedding ring. I'll, I'll put it back on when I come home, but I'm going to take it off when I leave because, well, home is home and, and work is work. How do you think your wives would react to that? I know how mine would. Not too good. She wouldn't stand for that, and I wouldn't expect any woman to stand for that because that's not how relationships work. I'm in a relationship with my wife no matter where I am. And I talk about my wife all the time because we're in a relationship. You can't do that with your spouse. You can't do that with Jesus either. Now, as we continue to grow as a Christian, you can't leave Jesus at church. You can't leave Jesus at home. Not if you're really in a relationship with him. Not if you've truly fallen in love with him. Let me take you back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 and 16 again. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. 
Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Light is meant to be noticed. It's meant to be seen. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. Don't let Satan it out. No, I'm going to let it shine. All around the neighborhood. You know, we know this teaching. We have known this teaching since we were three years old because we know the song. We understand what Jesus is saying. Why? Why do we let our light shine? So people can see our lives and make a connection to God. So people see the way we live our lives and they say, wait a minute, why do you do that? And they connect to God. So they'll be noticed. So we'll be noticed. And we can make God look good. People say, well, that was such a kind thing for you to do. Yeah, but you you ought to see my God. That was such a generous thing that you did there. Well, you ought to see my God. Your marriage is so impressive. Yeah, well, you ought to see my God. You know, it's interesting, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is talking to the Jewish people who, for the most part, aren't buying it. They're not following him. In fact, they don't want to listen to Jesus. They, for the most part, they want to silence Jesus. And eventually, they do that. They put him on a cross. Three days later, God brings him back to life. And then right before he ascends back to heaven, Jesus gets together with some people outside of Jerusalem, and Jesus tells these men, that whole light thing, that whole letting your light shine, the light of the world, he tells them basically, that's on you now. That's up to you to let your light shine and to point people to God. And when you read through the book of Acts, when you read through the rest of the New Testament, those early Christians, they took that responsibility very seriously. They were, they were committed to living their lives in a way that pointed people to Jesus. They understood if the world was ever going to discover God, if the world was ever going to know anything about God, if the world was ever going to be able to connect to God, if the world was ever going to know that that there's a heaven and how to get there, or that there's a hell and how to avoid it, if the world was going to have any hope whatsoever, it was going to be through Jesus. And so they lived their lives in a way to point people to Jesus. Question. Where does light shine the brightest? Where is light most noticeable? It's not a trick question. Shout out the answer if you know. Begins with a D. Darkness, very good. Light shines brightly in the darkness. That's where it's most noticeable. Where are the darkest places in your life? Where would your light be most noticed? Let's eliminate a few. This isn't one of them. I know we're not here physically together, but... At church, with my church family, that's not really a very dark place. In fact, even when dark people come here, they behave themselves pretty well. There's a lot of light going on when I'm with my Christian brothers and sisters. 
where is my light going to shine brightest? For most of you, it's probably where you work. It's probably where you go to school. Those are the darkest areas in your life. And when Jesus says, you're the light of the world, I think what Jesus is saying is, you be the light when you go to work. You be the light when you go to school. When you're out with your friends, you be the light. When you're at a, 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 you know, some kind of gathering, socially distanced, you be the light. And of course, it's not just enough to be a good person, right? I mean, the whole idea of being a light of the world is for people to see our good deeds and point, to, point them to, to, our, to our God, to associate our lives with who we serve. So people see the way you live your life. And they say, why? Why do you do the things you do? Or why don't you do some of the things that everyone else does? And after work, everybody goes to, to the bar. Why don't you go? You know, why don't you doctor your timesheet a little bit and, and make some extra money? Um, why aren't you flirting with that girl? Living our lives in a way that someone asks, why are you doing that? We can point them to Jesus. And let me give you a suggestion. And this is just for me. I found that it works for me. It might not work for you, but uh, just something to think about. When, when someone asks you, why do you do that? Why do you live the way you do? I used to answer, because I'm a Christian. I don't say that anymore. Not that I'm ashamed of being a Christian, but that sort of implies, because I'm a Christian, and you're not. Because I'm better than you. So I don't answer that way anymore. See, I, I want to communicate um, that, that my Christianity isn't just a belief system. It's a relationship. I'm in a relationship with somebody. It's not about a religion. It's about a relationship. So when someone asks me, why do you do that? Here's a suggestion. And it works for teenagers when they say, why don't you go out you know, drinking with all your friends? It works for young people and people ask you, why don't you just live together for a while, save some money? It works for young parents as you know, you're trying to, to maybe cut some corners and uh, um, cheat the system a little bit. Why don't you do that? Here's a suggestion. What if instead of, well, I'm a Christian, what if you said, because it would hurt the person I love the most? I'm in a relationship. And living that life, that would hurt the person that I love the most. Instead of, well, I'm a Christian, because I'm not allowed to, because that's the rules and I keep the rules. What if you just had the mindset of, I'm in a relationship, and this relationship is so precious to me that I don't want to do anything to offend the person, to disappoint, to hurt the person that I'm in a relationship with. And then when someone asks you, okay, who are you in a relationship with? Well, they brought it on themselves, right? Then I talk about Jesus. I'm in a relationship with Jesus. It's about love, not fear. It's about a relationship, not rules. It's about just letting our light shine in a way that people see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven.
But of course, at some point, we do have to talk about Jesus. Acts chapter 2, Peter stands up before a huge crowd of people on the day of Pentecost, and he says, let me tell you about Jesus. Acts chapter 4, Peter and John heal a man. They're arrested, they're brought before the Sanhedrin. They say, let me tell you about Jesus. Acts chapter 8, an Ethiopian is riding along in a chariot and he's reading Isaiah and he doesn't understand it. Philip comes up beside him and says, let me tell you about Jesus. Acts chapter 9, Saul of Tarsus is on his way to Damascus. He's blinded by a light. He's led into the city. For three days he waits. A guy named Ananias shows up and says, let me tell you about Jesus. And in Acts chapter 2, chapter 8, chapter 9, the message is consistently the same. Jesus was crucified on a cross for our sins. Three days later, God brought him back to life. Now he reigns as king. That's what Jesus did. Here's what he's asked me to do. He's asked me to be a light. He's asked me to trust him. He's asked me to believe in him. He's asked me to love him. And he's asked me to obey him. He wants me to repent of my sins. He wants me to confess that he's the Son of God. To let people know that that's what I believe and that's who I belong to. He asked me to be baptized for the forgiveness of my sins. You know, when I, when I consider everything that Jesus has done as I fall deeper and deeper in love with Jesus, I am compelled to respond in obedience. And we get really hung up sometimes on how we should respond. For me, it never was that complicated. And it never was that difficult. As I understood what Jesus did, as I understood what Jesus is offering, as I fell in love with Jesus, I just wanted to do what he asked me to do. It was just easy for me. What are you asking me to do? What do you want me to do? I'll do my best. Here's the deal. This week, we're still in the middle of this thing. Everything's a little bit different. People are starting to get a little bit tired of the isolation thing and the quarantine thing. You know, our, our nerves are getting a little more frazzled, it seemed. This week, look for ways, look for places where you can be the light. And I'm not talking about some grand overarching theme. I'm talking about in a moment. Where can you be light to someone? Standing in line six feet apart at Publix. How can you be a light? On a Zoom meeting with a lot of people who are frustrated, how can you be a light? Finishing up classes, how can you be a light? At home, when your kids are just, man, they're on your last nerve. Because there's nowhere for them to go. How can you show the love of Jesus to your family? How can you be a light? Can you imagine what would happen if we as a group got a little bit more intentional and a little bit more aggressive about showing our lights? If we got a little bit more creative about being a light, letting it shine, and then 
pointing people to Jesus. By the way, someone did that for you. Someone was a light for you. Someone modeled for you what real Christianity looked like. Someone talked to you about Jesus. That's the opportunity that we'll have this week. It's going to look different for everybody. And it's going to look different this week than it would have a few months ago. But this week, you're going to have an opportunity to let your light shine in a moment. Don't miss the opportunity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for sending the light, the light that's overcome the darkness. We thank you for Jesus, who's proven in every way his obedience to you, and he's proven his love for us. And Father, may we reflect that light to others, not in an arrogant way, not not in a condescending way, but just in a way that allows others to, to see and to know the joy and the peace and the forgiveness and the grace that, that we experience in Jesus. Father, help us to let our light shine. It's in Jesus' name I pray.